Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an upload. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Enjoy this week's show and don't forget to share it with all your friends. Hey, I'm Russell Leeds. Hey, I'm Ricky Mandel. And welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. On this week's show, HMRC issue a warning for UK landlords. Now, this is quite a big, hot topic at the moment. It's been quite controversial. So two companies, Property 118 and Less Tax for Landlords, have created a scheme to try and help UK landlords pay less tax. And uh, it sounds like it's a bit of a grey area. There's been a bit of debate about whether this is... uh, property, uh, sorry, tax evasion or tax avoidance. Are we going to have to be putting in a lot of disclaimers, generally speaking? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose we start off, we are not tax advisors. No. This is not tax advice. And now we're going to go and advise. So go ahead, Rick. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, it, this is all around Section 24 tax. It's all about Section right. 24. Do you want to explain what Section 24 actually is? Yeah, so Section 24 also known as the Section 24 Tax Act, or the Tenant Tax, impacts landlords in the UK who have mortgages on their rental properties. Now, in simple terms, this means that this legislation changes the way mortgage interest payments can be used to offset rental income for tax purposes. Yeah, so basically, if, if, you, if you own a property, you are a business, you're running a business, right? Yep. So you should pay tax. Because you're generating income from a Correct. product or service. Correct. Oh, product. And you pay tax on your profits. Yes. Right? So what used to happen is your rental income would come in. Let's say you're earning £1,000 a month. and then But you're not earning a £1,000 profit because you've got expenses. For example, your mortgage interest payments. Yep. But what Section 24 has said is you cannot count your mortgage interest payments as an expense. So if you were, let's say you were earning £1,000, you're getting £1,000 rental income, yeah. and your mortgage was 800 quid, you might look at it, your mortgage interest payment was 800 quid, you'd look at it and go, right, well, I've got to pay 200, I've got to pay tax on 200 quid. Yeah. But now they're saying, no, 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 you've got to pay tax on the, fa- there is there is a 20% exempt, but basically you've got to pay a tax on, on pretty much the whole thousand And it's quid. gotten even worse because interest rates have gone up. Well, that's the problem, right? So you've got all these landlords out there that thought, oh, it's a bit of a pain, I'm still making profit, mm, whatever. Suddenly, interest payments have gone through the roof, which means your expenses have gone through the roof. So you're not making any profit, but you're paying tax as if you are making profit. So you've got landlords out there that are making a loss on their buy to properties, but paying tax as if they're making a profit, which means they're making more of a loss, which is a disaster. Which is why so many landlords are either exiting the, the, the market, which is why property, one of the reasons property prices are dropping is because landlords are selling up. And when you're selling up, that increases the supply. And the demand's not there because no one wants to buy because interest rates have gone up. So there's loads of supply. There's not as much demand, which is why the house prices are, are dropping. This is one of the big reasons. And it's interesting because you could look at it and go, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why have they done that? But it's like they've, they've done it. They brought in the rule a little while ago now, a few years ago, Let's to deliberately hurt landlords. It's to, to deliberately punish buy-to-let landlords, which is crazy. So these tax schemes have come out to try and offer landlords a, a, a way out. And they're quite complicated. I'm not going to go into the details of how the scheme works. But HMRC are massively against, uh, as you can understand, tax evasion. Do you want to explain the difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance? Yeah, so um, tax evasion is illegal 
and that's where you, you're deliberately avoiding tax. Yeah, but you're break you're sort of breaking the law. You're you're yeah you're avoiding tax by not following the law. Correct. Whereas tax avoidance is working within the law. Yeah. To pay less tax. Yeah. So often like loopholes or, or often doing what the government wants. Yeah. Like, for example, if we look at Section 24, one of the ways, be careful what, how I word this, what people do, what, what you can do. You know, what am I being careful for? I don't know. I don't know either. It's only tax avoidance. Yeah. It's so not, It's not tax evasion. Okay. Well, why don't you explain what people do with Section 24 and what you could do? All right. So... <laughs> so so there's, there's a couple of different ways, because we're, we're going to get on to, of how you can, you can solve this problem. Right, we'll do one each. We'll All do right. one each. So you can purchase a property and own a property in a limited company. Yes. And then you wouldn't... You, Section 24 wouldn't apply to you. Correct. Because it's the company that owns the property. Yeah. And the company counts it as an... Exp- it doesn't make any sense, though, to me. Go on. It, it, well, although... Although, obviously, you understand, you're only in a company, Section 24 doesn't apply, you can count the interest payments as, as tax deductible expense, therefore you can make more money because you pay corporation tax, right? But it doesn't make... Why would they bring in a law to affect... I don't understand. I don't understand the thinking behind the law in that... It, it's not fair just because you've got in a different entity, you pay different, what, pay the tax differently and you get hit with Section 24. Yeah, isn't, but isn't that similar to, like, if you are... If you have a limited company and you run a business through that limited company, the taxes are different to if you are just, you know, like a sole trader. Yeah, but you still have, you, there's still... But you get allowances as a sole trader. You do, but, but you just, if something's an expense, it's an expense. Yeah. If, if you're a sole trader and you've got something that's an expense, it's still, it's not like, oh, well, you can claim it, you can claim your marketing as an expense when you're running a business, but as a sole trader, you can't claim So what it as we're expense. saying is, the business model, if you like, is the exact same. The only difference is, is rather than owning it in your personal name, you own it in a limited company. Yeah. limited company owns. The it. reason they've done it is to try and hit amateur bicycle landlords. That's why they've done it. But I just think it's just a ridiculous rule. Like it's just so unfair. It's, it literally is discriminating against, and it's annoying. I feel sorry for the landlords. You know those people that have saved up. They don't necessarily know what they're doing, like like, like what like what we do. And they've saved up and and they've bought a property, and now suddenly they're making a loss and, and paying tax. It just it, it no, just makes not, yeah, it's, it's not, not fair. No. But yeah, you're right. So the first way is to buy through a limited company. Now this can cause uh, a problem if you already own the property. Because if you already own the property, you can't just go, oh, well, now the company owns it. You've effectively got to sell it to the company. Which means what? Stamp duty tax. <laughs> everywhere you go, man. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, there's tax, right? Now, there are, again, there are certain ways you can get around that. Uh, for an example, if you own the property with you and your, you and your partner, you, you, you can, uh, and you're running it as a business, you can transfer it into a limited company. Uh, without having to pay the stamp duty, which I would recommend if that's the situation that you're in, if you and your partner own the uh, property and you're running it as a business, you could p- potentially transfer it without having to pay stamp duty. So go and speak to a, a property specialist about that. Well, so if you own it just on your own, you, if, you can't. You can't. No, if it you has to be it, a partnership. 
partnership was in what? You mean marriage or? Uh, no, but you have to own it with someone else as a part as part okay, of the partnership. Okay, so you have to have a, like a fifty fifty ownership of the property kind of thing. I don't know if that's be fifty fifty, but you have to both co own it. Yeah, right. And then it, is he, you can do it then. And then you can do it. Okay. Cool. So, so that's one way around it. That's that's quite a good way around it. Buy your properties for a limited company. However, there is a much easier and a much better way around it, in my opinion. Let's say you already own a property, you're renting it out. Interest rates have gone through the roof. Yeah, you can't claim back the interest rates now, so you're making a loss. If you, and this is such a simple, brilliant technique to do that's going to save you a fortune, if you rent the property out as serviced accommodation rather than as a buy-to-let property, that is then seen as a business and Section 24 no longer applies. It's really interesting. Why is a single let not seen as a business but serviced accommodation is... I don't know. So if you rent it out as a service accommodation. Yeah, so, so, so you're gonna, it's going to save you in two ways. The first way it's going to save you is your Section 24. Because if your interest rates have gone up, like my, I've got a service accommodation property that I'm renting out as service accommodation. My uh, interest rates and my mortgage have gone up for, uh, by about 400 quid. Right, so that I'd be paying tax on, I wouldn't be able to claim that back. But because I'm doing it a service accommodation, I can claim the whole thing back. But not only that, but I'm also making three times the rent I would if I rented out a single let. Right, because it's a single let, you're paying, you're renting out per month for a certain amount. Service accommodation, it's a nightly rate rather than a monthly rate. So you're gonna make you're gonna make so much more money and pay less tax renting out a service accommodation. So you, you don't need to do tax evasion. You don't need to go and do these clever schemes with property 118 and landlords pay less tax. Literally, you can just rent it out as service accommodation. And, and then you, you save all this. You avoid the Section 24 anyway, and you make way more rent. Okay. So uh, what I would say to people, because like, people are going to be listening to this thinking, well, I'm in that situation. So how do I do it? What should I do? Well, what I would say is if you own a property now and you're thinking, okay, can I do it as service accommodation? I think the first thing is, is... I, I wouldn't recommend someone just to turn it into service accommodation. I would recommend, first of all, doing due diligence and understanding how the business model works as service accommodation first. Because, yes, you can make a lot of money through service accommodation. But if you do it wrong, not only can you lose a lot of money, but you could also ruin your reputation if you have a load of bad reviews because you haven't run the business well. You get double bookings. So the first thing I'd do is, firstly, I'd make sure it's actually going to work as a service combination. Is it in the right area? Is it in a good area where there's other hotels? You need to know what nightly rate you're going to be charging. You need to know what your occupancy rates are going to be. Um, who your target audience is going to be. Who your target audience is going to be. Um, and learn the business model. How do you run service combination as a business? How can you systemize the business? How do you put systems in place? How do you not get double bookings? How are you going to market the property? All of these things is what I'd be looking at first. And that's, the, for me, the first steps before you actually take one on. Because you could end up actually losing money just by converting it. Um, and some of this stuff we cover, you know, we have a, I mean, you can get some of this information for a pound. We do a crash course, it's one pound. We go through this information about service accommodation. Come down to the one pound program, we can help you with this and help you transition into it. The rent to rent crash course. Yeah. Which is obviously, if, you, if it works for the house that you've got, you could do rent to rent, do it on other properties yeah. as well. Yeah. Hopefully. And you know what the, a great starting point would be? A great starting point, the first thought I'd have is, okay, is there a hotel near this property? Because if there's a hotel, hotels spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on due diligence and research before they actually 
run it as a hotel before they even get it up and going. They have to do all their research, of course, because it's a business. So if there's a hotel there, the chances are it would probably work as service accommodation. Yeah. Do you know what, though? I actually think service accommodation works in lots of areas as well that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So if I had if I had a property now that I was, was doing as buy to let, I would be experimenting with it as SA anyway. I've spoken to so many people, our students on the academy, who've got like random properties that they've owned for ages in an air, like in the middle of nowhere, and you'd think that wouldn't work, and they whack it on, and they get, you know, it's not absolutely popping like if it was in Brighton or London, or but it still really works. You know, even at 70% occupancy, you're making truckload more than you would as a buy to let. Yeah, and you know what the, the cool thing is as well? I know some people that, it, when it, even if it was at 70%, they're still making profit, but... <laughs> They then go and stay in it themselves. Yeah. So that, that little void period that they have, they go and go for their own little getaways. Um, so I, I stay in mine. Do you? Yeah. What, you just fancy a like, like, few nights away? Or do you... uh, I tie it in with stuff. So I've got some up, for example, uh, near where we've got family. They live up there. So we'll go down once every couple of months. I wait for a gap. There's a gap. Oh, we'll go down. We'll stay, stay there for a couple of nights. I've got a desk there. I can work. I can work my laptop. Um, yeah, and the other great thing about staying in your own as well is then you're seeing it from the guest point of view. So it's almost like doing a mystery shop on your own product. How are the cleaners doing? Yeah. What's the check-in process? Obviously, you know the area. What's the check-in process like? How have they left it? Are they keeping up to the same high standards? Is there any any work that needs doing? Yeah. Little things that you might notice. Well, I it's think funny it's what... you say that about the check-in because a lot of what I kind of thought to myself and questioned when I heard about service accommodation was... Why would people rather stay in a service accommodation unit than a hotel? Because did you know at the moment, as we speak, the occupancy rates for service accommodation is higher than hotels? And the reason for that, I think, is because when you go to a hotel, one, it doesn't feel like home. People want to feel at home. They want to feel comfortable. They want a bigger space. Because you can pay the same amount for a service accommodation property, a whole house or a whole flat. You'd pay the same price for a whole apartment as you would a little room with a little one suite that's the first thing but also when you go to hotel hotel i mean geez some hotels are just so slow the check-in process is like, my good me and samuel went to a hotel um when we we're on tour samuel's very impatient with slow hotels he, oh yeah i have to he, no we, we have a rule when we get to a hotel he just goes and i say to him you go sit Sit, do your thing, I'll get you a drink, you chill, because I don't know how long this is going to be. Because some hotels, you get there, and it's like, right, give us your name, give them the name, then they search on the system, they have to find your name, that takes a couple of minutes, and then it's okay, have you stayed with us before? If you say you haven't stayed with them before, be ready, because they'll spiel off, right? They'll spiel off a good 10, 15 minute tutorial on where everything is in the hotel what time breakfast is where to go and all i'm thinking is i've been stood here now you know 10 minutes and i haven't even got the key to my room yet and my point is this for me i i i, I want convenience mm. i want speed i want convenience i want it to be easy and with service accommodation units what you'll find is busy professionals people that stay in service accommodation one not only are they paying the same price if not less for a whole property or a whole apartment as they would do compared to a room, but they're also paying for the convenience, they're paying for the speed. And that's why service accommodation has a higher occupancy rate. The biggest thing is the queue. When I went to Vegas, there was a hotel, there was a queue. Honestly, I was 20 minutes. There were fast ones, they saw me, 
There's like yeah. 20 minutes waiting for the queue. Don't you hate it as well? Do you know when like you've got like a desk and there's a couple of receptionists and then someone else, you've got another member of staff that's just standing there behind sort of and then they walk in the office and you're like, hey, there's a queue here. Yeah. Like, why don't you come out and speed this queue up and they're just sort of messing around? Yeah, at the back. There is one more thing that I think even more annoying than that. Oh, it's going to have to be really annoying. You queue up for your 15 minutes, right? right? And then you've spent 10 minutes at the desk giving them your name. Da, 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 breakfast is at this time. You're just like, right, let me get to my room. Then they give you the key. And it's not the key that you turn. It's the key where you, the card that you tap. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going with it. Yeah. You're not, you're not just up the stairs and on the left. You're not ground floor through. You're not there. You are up 10 floors around the other side of the building. Get your transfer to the other hotel. Yeah. We'll see you in half an hour. You get to the other side. You get the key. You tap it, and it flashes red. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, great. Like, oh, my gosh, you try it again. Try yeah. it again. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it then goes green. You're like, thank God for that. Other times it just doesn't. You're there like, it's red. please go green. And then, and then you're thinking, right, I've got my case now. Do I leave the case here? I've got to go back down. Could I just ring? Well, what do I do? You go into a state of panic. And then when you're in your state of panic, you calm yourself down, then you walk half an hour back to reception. And when you get back to reception, you know what the worst part is? You have to wait back in the 15-minute queue because it's unacceptable to jump the queue even though you've already got your key. I jump the queue. Do you? In that situation, I just walk straight up, I wait for a gap and go, this key that you gave me doesn't work. Wow, I would, I would you're know, that guy. I'm that guy. I would not queue again. Do you find as well, though, <laughs> do you know when you're talking about how far away it is? Yeah. Do you find, no matter what hotel in the world I stay in, no matter which company, no matter when it is, they always give me the room that's the furthest away from the list. Always. Why is I'm that? I'm thinking, who's got these rooms these around people? the corner? <laughs> yeah. And oh. also, I don't understand the whole... A lot of hotels, their premium rooms and the most expensive rooms are the furthest away as well. It's like if you want a king suite, if you want to be a member of our club and be in a king suite, no problem. You'll pay more, which is cool, but you will have to travel an hour to get to the room. Yeah. The other day I got 9.01. I was like, (laughs) happy days. I got the thing up and it was like, you know, 9.02 to 9.38 this way. (laughs) I was like, oh, even now I'm all the way around the other building. Whatever happens. But I'm thinking in my head as well, maybe this is just me. Actually, I don't know if I'm going to say it because it might just be weird. But when my my room's far away, I'm thinking to myself... (laughs) this walk in the morning just to get to breakfast is going to be horrendous. <laughs> I have to set my alarm like half an hour early just for the walk. Factor in the walk. That's not what you're going to say, is it? Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. It was. You were going to say something else that was weird, because that's not weird. That's what we've been saying for the what, last five you, minutes. What, no, but <laughs> you, were about, you were about to say something weird, No, you then changed your mind on and said something that was totally normal. No, that's we've what been saying. Say. To, no, no, it's not. No, because it was weird because I'm thinking about food now. I'm thinking about breakfast. If my room's far away, the first thing I think is... I'm going to be hating walking Tell to us your weird thing. That's it. That is not it. It what is it. What is your weird thing? That's it. Oh, oh. Do you think that was it? No way it was it. No way it was it. Guys, that was it. I Ricky's got some weird hotel routine <laughs> that he knows we're going to judge him for. Next time I go with you, right? next time I go with you, I'm going I'm to be like, you know, I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be finding out what your weird thing is. That 
I'm, is, looking, I'm looking forward to it. When are we going away next? That is it. Somewhere? You have to walk far in the morning for oh, breakfast. Yeah, okay. Why is there a moth in the room? It's really annoying. It's been like... Flight, it flew... I feel like I'm getting into a bad mood now because hotels annoy me. No, it's not hotels. It's your weird thing that you don't want to share that is annoying. That you. is it. I have to walk far in for breakfast. There is, there is another tax benefit, by the way. And again... Oh, yeah, I forgot. Again, this whole, talk, this whole about. podcast wasn't about how far you have to walk. No, it's tax benefit. Another tax benefit is service accommodation. And again, we are not tax advisors. Please speak to your accountant. But... If you're renting out the property a service accommodation, another tax you can avoid is council tax. Uh-huh. And you might look at it and go, oh, yeah, but you have to pay business rates. But most people be- uh, can benefit from the business rates relief, which I can't remember the amount now, but it's quite a, a bit. So you can have quite a few units before you have to start paying uh, business rates. So not only are you going to save the Section 24, if you're refurbing it like a BRR to service accommodation, you've got all the capital allowances, you've got your council tax, Service accommodation is one of the most tax-efficient ways to uh, to rent out your, your properties. Yeah. 100%. And a lot of people that, you know, we meet, they come to, you know, the, the, the rent-to-rent crash course and they learn the insights and into service accommodation. The people that I meet often have one, uh, they have a perspective, uh, a perspective of investing into single lets. And after we've spoken to them, we've shown them what service accommodation is about, it often changes their mind. Oh. And a lot of people suddenly are like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. Um, I, I would suggest if you're you know, looking to invest and, and you want to maximize your cash flow and maximize these benefits, get on down to a rent to rent crash course. We can show you the ins and outs of it. So in fact, we'll leave a link um, underneath this video um, where you'll be able to get yourself booked on. It is. Um, it is quite expensive to get yourself booked onto a rent-to-rent crash course, though. Um, it's, uh, how much is it to get booked on? It's pound. But you said that earlier. Oh, said so you, the, you, the, ruined, you ruined your own punchline. I ruined my own punchline. Well, it's one pound, man. Get yourself booked on. Um, it's one pound. And I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you there and giving you some insights. 100%. Guys, I'm Russell Leeds. I'm Ricky Mandel. See you next week. 